I don't know if you saw the uh, story in the news a few weeks ago. It was at an amusement park in Texas where this roller coaster clicked its way to the top. And just before the first uh, fall, it, it got stuck. They got locked just right there at the peak of it. I don't, did you see this picture? I don't know if you have that fear or that anxiety when you're on a roller coaster, but that's like, that's like what you're afraid of, that you're going to get to the worst possible place, the highest point on the ride, and you're just, it's just going to stop. You're just going to get stuck. That's, that's what happened. They were in this position for 45 minutes. That's a long time, but they didn't know it was 45 minutes. And 45 minutes, when you don't know it's 45 minutes, feels a lot longer than 45 minutes. They're hanging on with this white-knuckled grip, not knowing what's going to happen next. Are they going to go back from where they came? Are they going to go over the edge and get stuck again? And so for 45 minutes, they were on edge. And I think this picture is how, I just think this is how a lot of people feel in life right here. That metaphorically speaking, that's the position that we often find ourselves in, where we are tense and uptight, where we are stressed out and worked up and worried, where we are on edge. And I, I would ask in this room, you know, how many people are on edge, but probably a better, more accurate way to get a feel for that is how many of you came here with somebody who's on edge, right? Like that might be more telling, but don't. Like, you know, if you're with somebody on edge, you know not to raise your hand on that. It's going to send them over the edge. So you don't want to, you don't want to do that. But we know what it's like to feel that way, to have that kind of anxiety and stress at moments in life. We know what it's like to live with people who are that way, feeling overwhelmed and stressed out and easily irritated and anxious. So we want to talk about that this next few weeks. As a culture, this is a pretty, um, appropriate subject for us. I was doing some research on the subject of anxiety over the past number of weeks. I, I came across a helpful resource called Anxiety Free, a book by Dr. psychologist Dr. Robert Lee. He says the average American teenager today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. If that gives you some kind of feel for where we're at on the uh, anxiety meter. Uh, you start looking at the symptoms of anxiety. There's some that seem obvious, things that we would probably recognize right away, like nervousness and fear, irritability, sleeplessness, just the general sense of feeling overwhelmed. But there are a lot of other symptoms of anxiety. It can overwhelm our emotions. It can uh, alter the serotonin and dopamine systems in the brain. It can cause disturbing and obsessive thoughts. It can cause agitation and anger and annoyance. It can make you feel moody, lonely, sad, depressed. It can have physical symptoms too. Like I have friends who would say, I'm not stressed out. I don't worry about much. But anxiety can surface in, in physical problems and challenges like um, aches and pains and stiffness and breathing difficulties and chest pains and concentration problems and digestive issues and insomnia and low energy and forgetfulness and blood pressure and circulation problems and hormone imbalance and hypertension and migraines and weight gain and weight loss and body odor and hair loss and ringing in the ears and increased sensitivity to sound and smell and even it can literally leave a um, bad taste in the mouth. That's one of the symptoms of anxiety and you start reading through these things and it's like one of those commercials where you're 90% of it's side effects, right? Like you, you just, one thing after another is connected to it. And, and so it's, it's a 
challenge that all of us have in one degree or another. The U.S. Um, Center for Disease Control says that about half the deaths that take place before age 65 are related to stressful lifestyles. The Harvard Business Review says anywhere from 60 to 90% of medical visits are stress-related. So Dr. Lee in his book concludes that we live in an age of anxiety. We have become a nation of nervous wrecks. And that's, that's just true. Like well, there's, you know, a lot of people here, a lot of different backgrounds and stories represented. But the one thing that's true of all of us in one degree or another is that we're all dealing with some level of anxiety. To be clear, where you're at on the anxiety spectrum can vary incredibly so, right? Like I know for, for, for some of you, the stress that you're feeling right now is, you know, it's about a bad commute to work and it's just leaving you a little stressed out these days. But there are others of you who live in terror and you are almost always in the constant state of fight or flight because of trauma that you've experienced or abuse that you have endured and you pretty much never feel safe. And you might have a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder where professional help and, and medication is is needed, much like a person who who's a diabetic, that there, there are some things physically that need attention. Or you might just be going through something at work and you're not sleeping real well at night. But wherever you're at on the spectrum, I believe the Bible has something to say to all of us who find ourselves on edge. I, I want to be clear as I begin this that it's not always a spiritual issue. Now, I think that the Bible can help each of us discover a deeper level of peace, no matter where we're at on this. But sometimes it's a physical issue. I like the way Becky Thompson puts it. She, she says, sometimes we're praying for a restored hearts when what we really need is restored serotonin levels, right? Sometimes it's, it's physical. But no matter where you're at, I know God wants you to experience a deeper level of peace. And so that's my prayer for us this week and next as we study the subject of anxiety in Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can turn to First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 5 the next few minutes. As always, context and culture uh, matter a lot. So Peter is writing this letter to Christians, and he addresses these Christians in chapter 1 as those who are, are scattered, those who ha- have been scattered. In other words, these are refugees. These are Christians who have... Uh, because of suffering and because of persecution, had to leave their family. They've had to leave their friends. Uh, that's a lot of reason for anxiety, right? Uh, that's, that's a lot of stress. You had to be forced out of your home. Many of them had lost their jobs because of their faith. Many of them had had their possessions seized because of their faith. So this is the audience that is receiving this teaching on anxiety. Their circumstances would seem to uh, create a lot of stress, a lot of fear and anxiety in their lives. So Peter says in First Peter 5, verse 6, uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. <laughs> Don't know exactly when due time is, but not usually as soon as we'd like it. Then he says, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him. This is the verse, of course, we're highlighting. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I feel like Peter missed the transition here, right? Like, as a writer, when I read this, I'm like, you needed something to break up 
those thoughts. Because on one hand, you're saying, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. And then in the same breath, you're saying, oh yeah, and there's this lion you might want to pay attention to. That, that seems to create some anxiety that he says, you know, don't be anxious, but there is a roaring lion out there. And so he, he warns them of the enemy. And so it's not a coincidence that these things come at the same time, that one of the enemy's primary weapons is anxiety and fear. And, and Peter says to resist, verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Makes you anxious when you think you're the only one. Peter says you're not. There are others who are going through what you're going through. There's others who've been through what, what you're going through. You're not alone in this. In verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while. There's kind of another vague reference to when this is all going to come to an end. It's in due time. It's in a little while. In a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. That day's coming. So to him be power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7 is the verse for us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's a, it's a great verse. Feels a little cliche. I, I, I guess that's my concern, at least, as I talk to people who are really dealing with anxiety. That just this idea, that the solution would be, well, cast all your anxiety on God because He cares for you. That that would feel a little bit simplistic, a little bit idealistic, a little bit naive. Because if I knew what you were going through, then I wouldn't just try to say, well, here's the solution. But what if it's true? What if that last part is really true? Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. If he does, if that's true, if he really cares for you, then that's not simplistic and that's not idealistic and that's not naive. That's, that's what we're missing if he really cares. So the question then becomes, do I believe that God really cares and that God can't be trusted? That's the question, really. On uh, a Friday, a couple days ago, I was in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was speaking at this um, conference, and I didn't have a car with me. I'd taken an Uber to the hotel. I was hungry at night. I needed something to eat, and so I had to walk a little ways to get to uh, a restaurant. And I met a homeless man while I was out named Howard. And I struck up a conversation with Howard. It was kind of late evening. It was starting to cool off. He had moved to Charlotte from Georgia and was just hoping for a fresh start. Been on the streets for 10 or 12 years. Couldn't quite remember how long it had been. I asked him if he had a place to sleep that night. And um, he said that he had a place where he slept in, in the woods. And he pointed to this wooded area behind a, a car wash. And I said, well, show me. Show me where you're at. And so, so he showed me where he was going to sleep at night. He had a few things. He had a blanket. It was getting cold. I said, well, man, there's a Walmart right here. I'd love to buy you a sleeping bag. Can I do that? Can I get you a sleeping bag? And he was, he was thrilled with that. I said, well, awesome, let's go. And so we go to Walmart, and I, I go to grab a sleeping bag, and it's in the camping section. I grab a sleeping bag, and I look over at Howard, and Howard is eyeing the tents. He, he's, he's, just, he's just looking at these tents. And I'm like, uh, man, those are nice tents. He said, he said, I love this tent. He pointed to a tent. And it was on sale, and I said, let's, let's grab a tent, too. 
if you have a sleeping bag, you need a tent. And so we grabbed a tent and a sleeping bag, and, and he took me back to where I was going to set this up. And, and I knew, and I kind of had the sermon in my mind, and I wanted to get his take on anxiety. Because from my perspective, Howard had a lot of reasons to worry. He, he didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. He, he didn't really have much clothes to change into. He, he didn't have a place to sleep, didn't have a roof over his head. So I asked him, I said, Howard, do you, do you worry about these things? And he said, well, I used to. Before I was homeless, I thought, in my mind, I just, that just struck me as pretty ironic. <laughs> like, before you were homeless, you worried about these? Yeah, but before I lost all my stuff, but before a few members of my immediate family died, we, I used to worry and, and stress. He said, but I don't, I don't worry much anymore. I just, he said, I've learned that God just takes care of me one day at a time. And, and he said, besides that, what, what good does worry really do anyway? I kind of laughed a little. I said, you know who you sound like right now? I said, you sound like this other homeless guy that I know. That when Jesus walked this earth, he, he had no place to lay his head, the Bible says. And he said a lot of the same things. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you'll eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is, is not life more than food? And body more than clothes? You're letting these things consume you? You're kind of getting fixated on these immediate needs. And there's a lot more out there than just these things. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. And they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. He cares for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, Jesus says, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Has worrying ever done that for you? Has anxiety ever created extra time in your day? Has anxiety ever paid a bill? And so I walked back to my hotel just kind of struck by the irony that here's a Howard who had almost nothing reminding me that I don't need to be anxious about anything because God can be trusted with everything one day at a time. But he had to, he had to lose almost everything in order to realize just how true that that really is. And maybe this is where you're stuck. We talk about anxiety. Is You want to cast your cares and anxiety on God, but it's hard for you to believe that he cares because of the situation that you now find yourself in. It, that's you. You're in pretty good company. Peter, the, the person who wrote these words, had those moments in his life. In Mark chapter 4, specifically, Peter and the disciples get on this boat. It's Jesus' idea. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And, and so they do. But in the, in, the, in the night, this huge storm comes. It's so intense that the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat. And the disciples, many of whom were experienced fishermen, are in a panic. They're overwhelmed with fear. And in their anxiety, they, they start looking for Jesus and where's he at? Somebody remembers that he, uh, he said something about going down to the stern of the ship to take a nap. That's where they find him. He's sleeping down there on a cushion. And they go down there and in their fear, they, they shake him awake. And here's what Peter and the disciples say to Jesus. Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? So, so Peter, who says, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. Here, he's saying, don't you, to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? It doesn't seem like you do. If you did, then why'd you tell us to get on this boat? Why'd you tell me to take that job? Why'd you move us to this new town? 
Why'd you have me make this investment? Why'd you allow that marriage to go through? Why, why is this person still, still sick? If you cared, then why hasn't my situation changed? Why aren't my circumstances different? Don't you care about us? It doesn't seem like you do, because if you did, then we wouldn't be in the middle of the storm. And here's the point, that we just intuitively tie our circumstances to our anxiety. And we think the way to peace is through a change in our situation. And if this was gonna, if this was different, then this would be different. And yet what we'll see even more next week is that the peace of God is not dependent upon circumstances. It's Jesus saying, you're gonna have trouble, the storms are gonna come, but in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trouble, you can have peace. It's a peace that can't fully be explained. It's a peace that passes understanding, but it's real. See, we want to say, well, look, I, I, I don't want to be anxious. So look, Jesus, look, if I could just get a better job, if, I, if we could just go on a nicer vacation, if my husband was more attentive, if my wife was more encouraging, if my child was more respectful, if my boss was more reasonable, if my mother-in-law was more um, absent, if, if my... <laughs> If, if my health would improve, if I could find somebody else to, you know, someone to share my life with, if this situation, if this condition would be different, then I would find peace. But this is not what Peter teaches. He's writing to people who are experiencing extreme pressure, anxiety, and he, he doesn't promise them that that's going to change immediately. He says in due time, he says in a little while, but not immediately. And so he tells them, in the midst of this, to cast your anxiety on God. I, I read the word cast, and immediately my mind went to fishing. Not because I'm a fisherman, but because Peter is. Peter is a fisherman. And so I thought, well, maybe that's the idea. You cast it. But then I didn't, I didn't love that as an image, because what do you do? Well, you reel it back in, and there it is again. I, I thought, that's not... That's not what we want to do with our anxiety. So I dug into this word a little bit more. The, this word translated cast is used one other time in scripture. And it, it's better translated or perhaps more helpfully, I should say, translated as um, transfer. Probably more accurate for us. Transfer. Like transfer your weight. That's the idea here. That you're carrying some weight. may not be that heavy. You've just carried it for a while. You're carrying some weight and, and you're holding on to it. And the world's approach to anxiety is, well, you just got to let go of that. Got to set that free. But you know better. You can't just let it go. If you let it go, it's going to, it's all going to fall apart. So Jesus says, you don't have to let it go. Just transfer it over. You've been carrying this weight. Just let God have that weight. Cast your anxiety on him. And now Peter's going to talk to us about how we do that. And, and so um, we'll talk more about this next week. But, but a big piece of it is connected to what Peter says in the, the, the prior verse, in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so Peter's going to connect pride and anxiety. He's going to help us see that a path towards peace is humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, these are really powerful verses, each of them in and of themselves. So they're typically taught on separate. And if you've heard messages um, about these verses, perhaps that was the case. 
Humble yourself under the Lord's mighty hand. That's a whole message in and of itself. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We separate them, but these are one thing. In fact, the NIV puts this as two different sentences. It's not in the Greek. It's all one sentence. So that verse 7 is actually a subordinate clause to verse 6. So, so here's what Peter's really saying. He's saying, humble yourself, casting all your anxieties on God. It's like saying to your kids, be polite, saying please and thank you. Here's the expression, here's the application, here's how you do it. The way you humble yourself is that you cast your anxieties on God. The way you cast your anxieties on God is by humbling yourself. Go together. So I, I just want to take a few minutes and kind of unpack this relationship between pride and anxiety. Because we tend not to make that connection. A lot of different ways you could probably um, talk through this. I'll just give you a few examples. All right, so, so pride makes me anxious. How? Well, pride makes me anxious by making me self-centered. Making me self-conscious. So sometimes we hear the word pride and we think of just the uh, idea of arrogance. I think I'm better than other people. But biblically, pride is just kind of this over... Um, uh, over centering of oneself, that we put ourselves in the middle. And the more self-centered I am, the more concerned I am about my pleasures and my desires and my comfort and my suffering. And the more I focus on those things, the more anxious I become. And so it's not surprising then to see new and regular research uh, drawing a correlation between social media and the rise of anxiety, right? Because what does social media do oftentimes is it, it puts the user at the center. It becomes about their world and what other people think of them. It creates anxiety because there's this fear of missing out. You see what other people are doing. Some of you, like me, who kind of grew up outside before social media, you remember perhaps the anxiety you felt when you know one good friend invited another good friend over, and you didn't really know what they were doing. You just know you didn't get included. And it just has kind of made you feel anxious. So imagine that 24 hours a day with live feeds, pictures, and updates. And that's the world that our kids are growing up in. And a lot of, a lot of us, even as adults, live in. And it, it creates this anxiety. We put ourselves at the center. Uh, another way that pride creates anxiety is that pride refuses to ask for help. So much of the anxiety we feel is a result of not humbling ourselves and asking God or asking someone in our lives to help us when we need it. Now think about this. I mean, what, what is a source of anxiety for you right now? And have you asked someone for help? It's, it's a reasonable question, right? Like, what's making you anxious? And have you, have you asked someone for help? And if not, why not? Uh, my my wife's little brother, um, Vince, and his family, they recently moved to Louisville from Atlanta. And, you know, he's he's a little annoying, frankly. Uh, he, he's a little annoying because he's, he's good at a lot of things that I'm not good at. And I think we can all agree those kind of people, generally speaking, annoying. 
right? He's, he likes to, he likes to repair things. He likes to build things. He likes to fix things. He's, he's good with these. He likes manual labor, likes it. Like I understand it. Like I know sometimes it's, I'm not afraid of manual labor, but when someone likes manual labor, red flag. And so he, he moved here from Atlanta, loves, loves to do these things. Now here's the thing. My wife values these things that he can do and I can't. And so a common phrase that is often heard around my house now since he's moved here that's just is hey why why don't you why don't you call my brother and ask for help why don't you call him why don't you call Vince and ask for help so you know the piece of trim needs to be replaced the garage door's not working right uh you know any number of other things you know at any given time that he can fix but I can't and so that's just the, hey, why don't you ask him for help? Why don't you, why don't you ask him for help? Hey, see your brother, why don't you ask him for help? I, I don't want to, I don't ever say that out loud. And she's not here. She's at the LaGrange campus this morning. So they won't get this video. But she could see it on internet. So I'll probably use the nine o'clock service and we'll move on. So I, I say, I say to, uh, you know, she says to me, why don't you, why don't you call him? And I don't call him and ask for help because, I'm, because of pride, right? That's, that's really, like, it would help me. I, right now, the fact that the garage door doesn't work creates a little anxiety in my life. It's just, uh, just one more thing that needs to get done, and it's annoying. You have to do it by hand. And, I, and he could fix it and, and fix it pretty quickly, but I'm not going to ask him for help because that's humbling myself. That's saying, oh, I can't do it, but, you know, would you do it for me? I, I'm not great at that. And, you know, I... It, he could do it. He'd probably even feel good about it, knowing him. And uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it because of pride. Now here, here's the thing. It's it's one thing when it's it's the garage door, but it's another thing if that's if that's your marriage, or you're you're living with this anxiety and this pressure in in your home because things are not right between you and your spouse. And they haven't been right for a while, and the stress and the pressure of that is affecting everybody, but you've never really asked for help from anybody. Nobody really knows about it because that's, you know, that's humbling. And so you just continue to live under the weight of that because of pride. Or, or maybe it's a financial situation where you kind of got yourself into a mess, and you should have asked for help a long time ago, and you didn't. Things have actually gotten worse, which makes you even more reluctant to ask for help. But if you just ask for some help, there'd be people who'd help you. Like if, as a parent, you've done your best with, with a child and you're not really sure what to do and you didn't perhaps have the best example growing up and so you don't really, you don't know what to do. There's a lot of anxiety around it, but, but you don't want to ask for help. And, and yet you're surrounded by like people, literally, literally, not just like right now, you are surrounded by people. Who would want to help you? Your people in this room have been down the path you're on. Who'd like to help you on the path? Like to walk with you? People who would be happy to carry some of the weight you've been carrying. But you got to humble yourself. You got to let somebody know. Got to ask for some help. God, as a father, wants to carry that weight. Wants to help you towards. Freedom wants you, as Jesus says, to live life abundantly. 
but it requires humbling yourself and asking for help. And so some of you need help with anxiety. As, as we kind of get into this, you recognize you've been feeling stress and anxiety for too, too long now. Uh, we want to help you with that. One of the things we're going to do this month is we're going to have some one-night workshops at all of our campuses with some, uh, some professional counselors, therapists, just to, to help people who are wanting to take some steps towards uh, dealing with anxiety that they feel. You can check out more information on our website this week. We'll put it on the social media feed. But it requires, it requires humbling yourself and asking for help. Uh, pride has control issues. That makes us anxious. A lot of anxiety we have comes because someone or something isn't doing what we think they should. They're not feeling how we want them to feel, not responding how we want them to respond. I, I, I've taken too much time with this. I'll just roll through these others quickly. But pride makes me defensive, so I become anxious when I feel criticized. Pride makes me selfish, so I feel anxious when I don't get my way. Pride makes me stubborn, so I feel anxious when someone doesn't agree with me. Pride makes me jealous, so I feel anxious when someone else has success. Pride makes me critical, so I feel anxious when someone doesn't do something the way I think it should be done. There's this connection between pride and anxiety. And so Peter says, then the antidote is to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Another word for that would be worship. And we'll, we'll talk more about it next week, but worship and worry, they can't coexist. One drives out the other. Humbling yourself under God's mighty hand is, is worship. It's putting God in his right place. So as we finish up, I just have a, a quick, two quick encouragements for you. Number one, don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. This is a theme in First Peter where he is acknowledging the circumstances and the situations that are creating anxiety for these Christians. And he tells them, look, don't be surprised by this, you guys. Don't get caught off guard by it. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange is happening to you. And a lot of, a lot of the anxiety we feel is that we just, we didn't see it coming. That life ends up being different than what we expected it to be and we get anxious because we thought things were going to be this way and now things are this way. We thought marriage was going to be this way and now it's this way. We, we thought the job was going to be this way but it turned out this way. We thought we'd be in this place financially and now we're in this place financially. We thought because God called us to do it over here that we wouldn't have these obstacles that we're dealing with and we have them. And so it doesn't meet up with expectations. So Peter says, look, this is part of life in this world. Don't be surprised. When, when you struggle with anxiety, don't be surprised by it. Don't let, don't get anxious about your anxiety. This is part of living in a, in this world. And he says, as we referenced earlier in verse eight, that there is an enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. But really all he can do is roar. He was defanged by the cross. I like the way Ann Voskamp says this. She says, there is a roaring lion, but don't forget that Jesus put the lion on a leash. Jesus put the lion on a leash. And so he can roar, and it can be scary, but he, he's been defanged. And so we don't get caught off guard when we experience some of this. And the second encouragement to you would be to remember it's temporary. That's what else Peter says to these Christians. Verse 12, he says, don't be surprised by it. Verse 13, he says, instead of being surprised, be very glad. 
for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, connects you to Jesus, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. It's temporary. What you're going through is temporary. The day's coming when this trouble and hardship and suffering will be no more. So here's what Peter does. He, he meets you on the platform before getting on the roller coaster, and he says, come here, come here real quick. <clears throat> You're getting ready to get on this ride. It looks like a lot of fun, but I'm just going to tell you that um, you're going to get stuck when you're up there. It's only going to be for 45 minutes. It's not that long. It's going to be. I'm not going to. It's going to be scary when you're there, but it's 45 minutes. So don't be surprised when it happens. And remember, it'll be over. It'll be over soon. Have a good ride. Have a good ride. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Peter. Does that help? Yeah, it helps. You ever get on an airplane and the, the pilot comes on and says, hey, we're, we're going to have a little turbulence here. I just want you to know that we know that. It's going to last 10, 15 minutes, so buckle your seatbelts and hang on tight. That helps. It helps to know and it helps to realize it's 45 minutes. Now, 45 minutes is a long time, but it's 45 minutes. And you might have that hardship and difficulty here in life, but compared to eternity. And so Peter calls you over and he says, hey, hey, look, look. I'm really excited about this marriage that you've got coming up. Just want to let you know. A couple years into it, you're going to say to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? You're just, <laughs> just want to let you know that's going to happen. Have a good ride. <laughs> Hang on tight. It's going to be okay. You're going to work through it. Don't let it throw you off. Just expect some of these challenges. Expect some of these hardships. And it won't last forever. I I, uh, had this moment as a father where this verse really just uh, came to life for me. I I told you about this, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. But it happened when my now 13-year-old son was four. And uh, he was at this place in life where he just wanted to constantly show us how strong he was and carry his own weight. And uh, we'd been on this trip as a family, traveling, driving through the night. We stopped at a hotel in, in the middle of the night for a few hours of sleep. And uh, my girls, my wife and three daughters, they went in. I grabbed a couple of bags, uh, just enough for the night, out of the back of the trunk. And, and, and my son came around the back to get his bag, my four-year-old boy. And he wanted to carry his bag in and wanted to do it himself. So I, I take it and, and hand it to him. And he puts it on his shoulder and just almost pulls him to the ground. He's half asleep and... And I said, come on, bro, let's go. We start walking towards the hotel. And I realize he's not with me. And I, I see him. He's just standing there, just half asleep. I go back and say, hey, buddy, can I, can I carry that for you? No, I just said, yes. I grabbed the bag, put it over my shoulder. Walking back towards the hotel. He's still not with me. <laughs> I, I, I see him standing there. And I, I say, hey, you want me to carry you too? Scoop him up in my arm, got his bag, suitcase, loving it, loving it. Miss those days. Don't get to do that much anymore. I, as a dad, I, I care about that kid. I'm happy to carry his weight. I'm happy to carry him too. And maybe God has brought you here this morning. Because that's what you need to hear from him. Maybe that's what he would say to you is, can I get that for you?
I saw you wheel that in here. It looks pretty heavy. You've been carrying that for a while. Can I, can I carry that for you? And if you need me to, I can carry you as well. He'd be happy to do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your strong arms that have carried me and my weight uh, over the years. I, I repent, God, of my pride. It's gotten in the way. It's uh, caused me to spend a lot more time lugging stuff around than I needed to if I would have just humbled myself early on and said, God, I, I, I can't carry this. Would you carry this for me? You sure would have. God, would you help us in the next few minutes to humble ourselves under your mighty hands? Would you help us, God, to, um, to cast our weight to you, to transfer it over to you? Because, God, you care for us. Lord, my prayer would be that some folks who came in here carrying some things wouldn't leave here with them. That they would surrender that over to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we want to give you this opportunity to, um, to talk to someone about your uh, relationship with Jesus, about putting your trust in him and saying, okay, God, I've been trying to control some things, but I'm ready to surrender. So if you want to talk to someone about that, um, there's some folks who'd love to meet you down front here. Or if you're ready to, to make this your church family where we can kind of do this together, bear one another's burdens together, we'd love to have you as part of our church. And again, uh, you can come right down front. Let's stand. Let's worship our great God.